Hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless, the only show that tries to teach you how to be a better friend while I lose every friend I have. I'm your host, James Avermanko, back once again with a very special episode. It is chapter three of my ongoing book series, reading out my draft of my new novel, Out of Town. This is chapter three. The morning of a road trip is one of tense internal negotiation. So it's time to lean back, get comfy, set your volume at a reasonable level to protect those precious little ears of yours, and enjoy my reading of Chapter 3 of Out of Town here on Friendless. All my life, I've hated road trips. Every summer growing up, my dad loved to plan elaborate drives across the country or down to the Oregon coast. Before the car was even started, I'd back out at my first opportunity. The anxiety would take hold as soon as the alarm, always set an hour early, went off. I would fold into my twisting guts and explain why I couldn't come, then watch my father's face contort in a Greek chorus mask of disgust and disappointment. No son of mine, I could swear I'd hear him mutter. The morning of my trip to Calgary, I wake to my usual alarm set for 7.30. The only discernible difference being that I don't snooze the alarm more than once. I shower, skipping over the majority of my usual morning routines to get on the road as soon as possible. I figure the sooner this was over, the sooner I can be home again. Already, I'm planning my return trip, and I'm not even out the door. Likely not a great sign for my emotional engagement. After journaling and drawing, can't miss those creative outlets, but not doing any exercise, who needs that, I'm almost ready to roll. I throw a few t-shirts and a couple extra pairs of underwear into a canvas shopping bag and load everything into the car. No matter how long the trip, whether it's an overnight or a month, I am overcome with a sense of dread that this will be the trip where I finally begin to uncontrollably and continuously shit my pants. I found myself compelled to pack at least two pairs of underwear for every day away, and on top of that, I almost always end up buying new underwear wherever I end up going. It's a disease. The sun is already cresting when I finally lock the apartment door and head out. There's still a slight chill in the air, and I'm grateful to have remembered to pack my Sherpa jacket. The weather in Saskatoon is so extreme that it really only ends up being about a week, a year, where the jacket is actually useful. The weather tends to oscillate wildly from scorching hot until the first snowfall when it becomes so cold you take your life in your hands just to take a walk around the block. But it's the only jacket I packed, so it's going to have to work one way or another. I take Idlewild, humming an outcast song as I always do, then turn onto the highway that takes me out of town. I spot the first gas station and pull in to fill up. I'm fumbling with the debit payment on the gas pump when a crackling voice starts emanating from the radio on the pillar. Hey, brother, that tire's looking a little flat, it says. I look around to see if the voice is talking to me and spot a man standing in the window of the gas station. He points in the general direction of my back tire. I follow his finger and see the back right tire on my trusty Kia Rio, who I named Atticus, a sensible name for a sensible car, is almost down to the rim. I mutter a series of curses, immediately thinking one of my neighbors is sabotaging me. Like the closeted NIMBY I don't want to admit I am, I'd called building security on them the other day for throwing a party in the middle of the week, and I wouldn't put past them to retaliate. Still, the cap was on, and there were no slashes. I have an ingrained victim complex. It's a disease. I wave a thanks at the cashier and finish gassing up. Filled with a dread that is almost indescribable to anyone born before 1985, I pull to the corner of the lot and park in front of the air pump. I was never taught about cars. My father was a bike fiend who spent his weekends buying old bikes, then fixing them up and reselling them, but he never cared much for cars. He was always the kind of guy who, when something went wrong with whatever car he was driving, just sold it and bought a new one. Fucking boomers. And my mother, along with her brother and father, all swore by only one mechanic in all creation, some 
grease monkey named Ray who had died shortly after 9-11. None of their cars had run the same since. In other words, I knew nothing about even the basics of cars and was now alone to try and make sure I filled my tire right. I'm immediately struck with the mental image of all the times I passed those ribbons of black rubber on the side of the road. Every time I saw the black streaks on the pavement veering and swerving until they disappeared off into a ditch, I see visions of my own blowout and shudder. It's a paid pump, so I try tapping my debit card on it. A voice from around the corner of the station calls out, surprising me. Never seen a debit card work on that thing, the voice says. It's equal parts friendly, lonely, and haunted. From behind an ice machine, a woman of undistinguished age emerges. Her clothes are thick but filthy. Anything that had once had color is now caked with a black film that seems to weigh everything on her down like it's desperately clawing to return to the earth. Her tangled hair presses into her scalp. She smiles lightly at me, the kind of smile you give a friend when you've just woken up at their place and aren't entirely sure where the bathroom is. I notice where teeth would normally bleed as black stumps and sore-looking gums. The machine crackles and starts to chug, surprising us both. Holy crap, I say, smiling at the woman. I guess it's my lucky day. She shrugs and goes about packing up her camp. I hesitate a moment, wondering if I should ignore her or not. But she's been kind, and a little funny in a way, and I want to set the day off right. How's the morning treating you? I ask, trying to sound casual and unconditional. Oh, probably better than you, sweetie, she says. I smile and nod. I mean, it hasn't imploded yet. Cross your fingers for me. The woman laughs, a barking sound like snapping wood, and goes about her business. I turn my attention to the task at hand. The tire is sagging like I imagine my belly hangs over my belt line. I unscrew the little black cap and try putting the hose head onto the nozzle. It keeps popping off, so I think maybe I'm supposed to screw it on. Nothing turns properly as I try sandwiching the two seemingly opposite-shaped circles together. A bead of sweat scratches at my forehead, and I don't dare look up to see if anyone is watching as I press the hose nozzle to the tire tab and let the air roll. I think I can see the tire rising as I do this, so that must be a good sign, right? After a few minutes of holding the now freezing metal head to the tire, I think I've done as much damage as I can. The pressure reader doesn't seem to be working, and I can't read anywhere on the tire what the actual pressure is supposed to be. All I know is the rubber feels harder than it had before. I imagine the tire now blowing out for the opposite problem, hitting some pebble or crack in the highway, and the pressure blowing it out just like it always was destined to. I screw the cap back on and return the hose as best as I can to its hook. I smile at the woman, who by now is all packed up and ready to get on with her day. Have a great day, hey, I say. You too, sweetie. Good luck on the road, she says back. Stay warm. The sun's out for now, at least. Small miracles, right? You know it. Hey, hon, I hate to bother you. You don't got any change for the bus, do you? I'm immediately walloped with a deep pull of regret and shame as I shake my head and say, I'm really sorry, I don't carry cash anymore. That's why I had to risk that debit on the machine. She smiles that black hole smile and waves a hand. You ain't gotta be sorry about nothing. Drive safe, sweetie. Take care, hey, was all I can say, feeling impotent and small. I get back in the car and watch the woman take her pack and disappear around the gas station. I consider for a moment going into the gas stand and pulling out some cash, but the pull to get on the road stops me. I start to drive out a lot, but the nagging fear of something being wrong with the tire makes me pull over. I take out my phone and Google the closest Great Canadian Tire Exchange, the only place I've ever had mostly good experiences with. As luck would have it, there's one nearby, literally across the street from me. I'd missed it because it seemed to be the only one of their locations in town that didn't have a gaudy recreation of some 50s nostalgia model displayed in front. I pull across a half dozen lanes of traffic to get to the garage. A kid waves me in, his mask never finding proper purchase on his little button nose. It's so disarmingly cute I can't bring myself to be annoyed. He starts preparing for a full oil check, but I stop him, saying, I just need the tires checked. 
I'm on my way to Calgary and I'm having nightmares that one of them is going to blow out. By now, a full hour has passed from when I thought I'd be on the road. I do some quick mental recalculations of the drive. Somewhere along the way, I got it in my head. It was a five-hour trip. I'll still make it to town long before rush hour starts. The kid checks my tires and fills them up, telling me the only one that had any problems was the one I'd been working on. It's still too low, so he fills it up. As I prepare to pull out, he offers me an air freshener, then hands me four. I wonder if that was some sort of dig. Still, I appreciate the offer and take them with a smile. At last, I'm ready to hit the road. I turn onto the main drag and start down. I make it two blocks before spotting a McDonald's. My stomach grumbles Pavlovianly, and I'm powerless to resist turning into the drive-thru. McDonald's drive-thrus have changed in recent years, splitting themselves into two lanes that inevitably boil down to little micro-gladiator bouts, two idling cars competing to be served first. I pull into the left lane as there's only one car ahead of me, a beat-up old thing that seems held together with spiked and duct tape. Half its side panels are missing, and the driver has turned the car off while ordering. I should have taken that as a sign. Before I can change lanes, I'm boxed in. The other line fills up almost instantly, pushing a rapid series of orders through. Finally, I get to the window and put my order in, then start pulling up to the next. As I round the corner, from my right, a sedan blazes past me, cutting me off in the line. The driver doesn't bother looking over at me. Do you ever notice how all bad drivers will do that? They'll cut you off or almost hit you and just not look at you, like how a dog will try to not look at you when it's done something bad, because if it doesn't see you, you don't exist. It's kind of like a baby. Neither are comforting images as drivers behind multiple tons of steel. I watch as the employee hands the driver of the sedan an order, then see in his rearview mirror him scrunching his face in disgust and toss the bag back through the pickup window, obviously annoyed that it was the wrong order. My order. The one it would have been if we just followed the order cue. My sense of justice knows no bounds. It's a disease. I pull up to the window and thank the server for my food, pulling away as the sedan ahead of me pulls aside in the parking lot to double-check his orders once again. I catch a glimpse of a yellow golf shirt and a hairline so receded that I'm shocked he hasn't just admitted defeat. Why wasn't I surprised? At long last, an hour and a half late, I turn onto the highway and hit the accelerator. My McMuffin is stale and the tea is cold. I'm going home. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this very special Chapter 3 reading. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think of the book so far. More is on the way. But I will be back again next week with a brand new interview with an incredible guest that I cannot wait to share. If you want more friendless goodies, please be sure to sign up for the Substack. You're going to get a monthly roundup of books, movies, music, writing prompts, and tips on how to be a better friend to yourself and to others. I've also launched a couple brand new guides. These are five bucks. They're quick. They're fun. They're how to be a better friend. There's one on how to create a daily writing routine for yourself or a daily poetry writing routine if you want a little bit more nuance. I'm working on expanding a bunch of other services. There's going to be classes. There's going to be modules. There's going to be meetups, all kinds of fun stuff. Check out all those links on my pen site. All that is going to be in the show notes. It's a ton of fun. I'm really proud of this work. I'm super excited about it. And I just hope that you enjoy it too. So please be sure to check that out. 
But that's really it for me. Oh, one last thing. Try and follow me on TikTok. I've been posting daily tips on being a better friend. I'm trying to expand to new, more fun content. I've been having a blast and I think you will enjoy it too. So that link is in the show notes as well. Give me a follow over there on TikTok. Help me grow the friendless brand. And we're going to teach everybody how to be a better friend. God damn it. (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have yourself a great week and I'll catch you here next time. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. I'm not going to worry about that right now. And you shouldn't either because that is then and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties.